I will help you. But you must answer one question. You have but to ask. What do you want with Anakin Skywalker? He is the key to everything. To bring balance to the Force? To destroy. He has long been groomed for his role as my master's new apprentice. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars Binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I am a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. Hello. This is the sound of my voice. We are on to our second episode. The sequel. We're, we're on to the sequel. Uh, you got any favorite sequels? I do. I realize it's technically the third in a, in a sequence, but nobody ever really thinks of the first one. So I'm going to count Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as a sequel. Actually, Temple of Doom is actually a prequel. Uh, apparently it falls before uh, Raiders. Oh, perfect. Outside of Star Wars, because I really do think my favorite sequel is Empire Strikes Back, but outside right. of, of the Star Wars canon, I think it's probably the, the Last Crusade. Yeah. A lot of people want to say Ghostbusters 2, but I don't think a lot of people have actually watched <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. It's definitely not as good as the first one. I was driving by the Golden Corral yesterday, and I thought to myself, Wait a minute, can I have one try? All you can eat barbecue rib night at the Sizzler. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, that's a good, that was at least a good joke. There are definitely way more failed sequels and, and disappointing sequels than there are good ones. To, to come across a good sequel is very hard. It's true. I'm a big fan of Days Future Past and X2. I like both the X-Men. Yeah, those are, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, I think I like Future Past better than X2, but yes. Days Future Past, I think, is it's one of those few movies that engages time travel real well. Yes. In a way that I totally believe. I'm like, yep, perfect. Yeah, that is a the casting is great in that movie. The time travel scenes are great. Uh, the the only thing that's a little you can tell how badly Jennifer Lawrence doesn't want to be in that movie on that set and in that character throughout that whole thing. But other than that, it's a really great <laughs> X Men film. Well, today we are discussing the second part in the Siege of Mandalore arc. This is season seven, episode ten of the Clone Wars. is titled. The Phantom Apprentice. And again, we're beginning with an arc that ends the Clone Wars to set up our binge. And so we start with that uh, 70s green Lucasfilm Limited logo. And this time, no music. We're just pushed into the pool. That deep red Clone Wars logo pops up. And we're rolling. So uh, before we begin, actually, this is part two of an arc. We haven't talked about arcs yet but most of the clone wars is uh set up through arcs what are arcs an arc feels like a storytelling device where where you tell one story over multiple films episodes but it, it just feels like a, a longer sustained story told over multiple parts yeah we're going to see this a handful of times in the clone wars that there are two three and four episode stories and this is one of the better ones and 
here we are, part two. Uh, one other thing that we didn't mention in our last episode is kind of the time. This episode is set right before episode three. So this is 19 years before the Battle of Yavin. B-Y, before Yavin. Uh, so this is 30 years before the Mandalorian finds Grogu, and it's about 50 years before The Force Awakens. That's kind of where we are on the timeline. And we're going to begin in the sewers of Mandalore. And we hear lightsabers glowing, and we fade back into that space that we left off. And again, just like the last episode, we're beginning with some tension. Ahsoka is surrounded by Maul's platoon, and they are each aiming a blaster at her. And Maul is approaching down one of the sewer pipes, and he says, Ahsoka. Tana, is it? I can't say yours is a name familiar to me. Well, I know you. Yes, I imagine we have several mutual friends. I wouldn't put it that way. Of course not. But I'm afraid your way of thinking is behind the times. And Maul actually thinks this is true. That is, some of the alliances are beginning to shift yeah. in Maul's mind. I'm not exactly sure who this would refer to now that I say it. but <laughs> It's the cordial, very English-sounding villain speech. That's what this is. Like, the, like just the, I'm going to, welcome, I'm going to destroy you. Yes, that is what's going on here. It's the, it's the Goldfinger or, or Dr. No type introduction to a character. That... Good evening, 007. My name is James Bond. And members of your curious profession are few in number. You have been recognized. It sounds very cordial and very formal, even though clearly they're very menacing and clearly in a very menacing spot. But they sound like they're welcoming you to lunch. Yeah. And they're not. (laughs) Well, Ahsoka hits a button on her wrist and sends a homing signal to Rex and his troops, which are also in the sewer. And we see him receive it, and Rex says, It's her. Come on, we'll trace the signal. We cut back to Maul. I was certain that Kenobi would have come himself. Perhaps bring his loyal foe, Skywalker, is it? Maul having trouble with names here. He's He's been away for a while, and he's only he's just getting used to being in you know society again. Alongside professional discourse, Ahsoka says, Master Kenobi had a more important engagement. Indeed. I wonder the moment may be upon us. Why you? Why did Kenobi send you? Why don't you surrender, and then we can both go and ask him? It's a good line. It is a good line. (laughs) My surrendering. Well, that would be pointless, for if I am correct, soon the Jedi and Republic will no longer be the controlling interest in the galaxy. And who will be? You? No. Darth Sidious. New name for us in the binge. Mm-hmm. Here we are. It's uh, an introductory scene filled with tension. Yeah, he clearly knows things that she doesn't know. It's almost like she doesn't think that or won't think that or can't think that. Like there's a resistance to anything that he's saying here. 
that I think is interesting and potentially not very mm-hmm. like may, maybe you should hear him out. Maybe you should listen to him because because he has knowledge of things that you don't. And again, that, that we know as viewers, right? We know who Darth Sidious is and why he is dangerous and important. True. I guess it's just that kind of arrogance that so many heroes that people love fall victim to of like, I don't need to hear whatever the heck you have to say. Just shut your mouth. Come on, let's go. He's going to make a pitch to her later in the episode. And I didn't notice this till I actually just read the script, but Rex and some other clone troopers are going to turn the corner. They're going to begin firing at Maul and Maul's forces. Maul ignites his lightsaber and strikes Ahsoka, looks at her and says, Not yet. And then he leaves. Um, He's apparently going to save his pitch for later. I think that might have been what's going on. Like this was going to be, I'm going to approach you. I'm going to tell you what's up. I'm going to draw you into common cause. Maybe that's what the friendship stuff's about. Yeah, he's he is really willing to talk in in a way that I feel like you don't normally see the stereotypical villain in a story willing to do. Right. Because he's, even though he is clearly a villain, clearly the bad guy, He's sort of his own agent. He he's not a Sith anymore. He he's not he's not playing for that side, and he's certainly not a you know he's certainly not on the side of the Republic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's he wants to show up and talk. It's in his best interest to make a good sales pitch. Yeah. Well, he realizes it's not the time. He picks up Rex, force throws Rex into Ahsoka. They are sent to the side. Maul and his forces run down one of the sewer tunnels. Ahsoka gets up. Come on. And they follow him. They circle back on one another, and Ahsoka says, We've lost them. And we cut to uh, the Mandalorian throne room. Definitely feels like a foreshadowy thing happening. You know, I mean, it ends before you get the satisfaction of knowing why you're suddenly seeing a character who, if you're watching Star Wars according to the binge as we've laid it out, this is the first time you're seeing a character that maybe you haven't seen since he got sliced in half. So so you kind of end with this, like, wait, why is that guy back? What is he actually doing and what does he want? Like it's it's true. It's a it's a it's a nice kind of cliffhangery moment. Yeah. Well the Mandalorian throne room, where we cut to next, real interesting in Star Wars. And we're going to see an epic scene in this episode. But we haven't talked about location yet. Uh, This is going to be one of the first planets that we kind of do a deep dive on. The location of this episode is Mandalore. Mandalore is an outer rim planet. Has a long history of a warrior culture. In fact, the Mandalorians fought the Jedi and raided their temple when the Old Republic fell around a thousand years before the Clone Wars. Uh, By the way, when the Mandalorians, with their Beskar armor fighting the Jedi, when they raided the temple, guess what they stole from the temple? Oh boy, I have no idea. They took the Darksaber. Oh, of course. The uh, Apparently the Darksaber was created by a Mandalorian who was recruited by the Jedi. It was the first Mandalorian Jedi recruit, a man from House Vizsla, who we're going to meet later in the Clone Wars, and he made this saber. And when he died, the Jedi took it and they kept it in the temple. And apparently when the Mandalorians and Jedi were in this ancient battle and the Mandalorians took over the temple, that was what they wanted. They wanted to take uh, one of their founding rulers' yeah. swords. So it's got that that kind of imagery. It's like this is an ancient weapon that has been the symbol of the ruler of Mandalore, the special person in Mandalore for many, many centuries. 
And so we're going to be talking about the events in the TV show, The Mandalorian, frequently, but obviously the Darksaber is in The Mandalorian. We're going to see it a bunch in The Clone Wars. Features very heavily in The Mandalorian. And it'll come into play in uh, Rebels. Mm -hmm. This is great storytelling, which we're just now coming into. We're getting to see how the Mandalorians would have fought the Jedi. We see, for example, that Beskar repels lightsabers. I don't think that was known until the TV show. Like, how would these people actually fight Jedis? Jedis can use the Force, and they their blades cut through everything. Yeah. And apparently that's their armor has a strong defensive side to it. This is going to be helpful because a lot of the story of this galaxy is overlaced with the relationship of the Jedi and the Mandalorians. This is another one of those things I had never seen until the the recent Mandalorian episodes, how often a Mandalorian is paired with a Jedi. A real easy one we see here is Bo-Katan is a Mandalorian. Ahsoka is a Jedi. We see the clone troopers who are all descended from a Mandalorian paired with all these Jedi generals. We're going to see Obi-Wan Kenobi paired with a woman named Duchess Satine. Ewan McGregor is also in a film called Moulin Rouge, and his love interest in that is a woman whose name is also Satine. It's Nicole Kidman's character. (laughs) That's not what we're here to talk about, but I said it nevertheless, because I was like, oh, that's a fun uh, Ewan McGregor. Star Wars is connected to everything. I'm I'm sure they pulled that. Right. (laughs) It's very on the nose. Yeah, it is on the nose. When we get into Rebels... Two of the main characters are Sabine Wren and Ezra Bridger. Uh, They're part of this family. They are part of the original Rebel Alliance. And uh, Sabine is a Mandalorian. Ezra is a Jedi. And then, of course, we see Boba Fett and Vader. Mm -hmm. And more recently, pairing, we see Grogu, who is a Jedi, and Din Djarin, who is apparently a Mandalorian. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) If the name of the show is to be believed. But there you go. Just over and over again, these pairings. It's the Jedi and the Mandalorians had these battles for uh, a thousand years before the Clone Wars. And we'll see some of their technology in, in this arc of how the Mandalorians imprisoned Jedis that they captured in the next episode. Actually, at the end of this episode, they do as well. The, the ropes. Two different cultures commonly at odds and yet there's relationships you know between individuals across the river as it were yeah almost as if they're saying most of the battles and wars that we fight if we took the time to get to know and team up with some of these people we could actually get along quite well and achieve great things yep that's a story across the ages that is Romeo and Juliet if the Hatfield and McCoys can just get along Kevin Costner would have no jobs, but other than that, it would be great. (laughs) Um, But Mandalore, as a planet, their planet's ecology has been damaged by war. The cities are all under domes because of this. And the long history of fighting and being a warrior culture has led the Mandalorian rulers by this point in time in the Clone Wars, some of them have become aggressive pacifists yeah mandalore has a real feeling of like a a once great city that's kind of almost torn itself apart with just nothing but battles and fighting and and constant war it's never had really any time to put itself back together and again we've seen that through so much uh, storytelling but also in history like there's these places that just rip themselves apart 
and and that's kind of what it feels like. Obviously, Mandalore is going to just going to be a central location. I'd be curious if Mandalore isn't England in this galaxy. For whatever reason, I have the I have the impression that the the throne room, the Excalibur image with the sword. Oh, see, I was thinking I was thinking Rome or something like it that. Could just, be. just I actually like that better, just because of the sword. Perhaps we'll just uh, yeah, put put a pin on in that. What what is this location? Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> They do have a thriving automobile industry. A lot of underground crime, a lot of buildings without <laughs> glass in the windows. It's, I mean, it's Detroit. So we're in the Mandalorian throne room, and they are having a conversation with the hologram of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Rex is there, Bo-Katan's there, Ahsoka's there, and there's, there's like this R2 unit there as well. Um, and they're having this conversation, and Bo-Katan says, There are a small number of firefights still happening in Sector 11. But for the most part, your clones have been as effective as promised. Still, without Maul in custody, this could all fall apart quickly. We must capture him before he escapes. And Ahsoka says, He mentioned a name, Darth Sidious. Who is this Sidious? Hey, Daniel. Yes. Who is this Darth Sidious? Oh, boy. I mean, I feel like the clues are, have been right in front of my face. <laughs> but, I, boy, I, I, I don't have a clue. No, uh, d- well, Darth Sidious, Jeff, would be the uh, true identity of one uh, Chancellor Palpatine. One of the things that uh, Star Wars does is they just want to make sure that you know this, that there's some people in power who are just awful, and I think it wants to show you that Awful people often direct things in awful ways that get lots of good people injured, hurt, killed. And can hide for such a long period of time. Yeah. I, I think it's just that when you want to believe something and someone tells you over and over again that they're good and you want to believe that everybody's fighting for the right thing, I think there is a sort of uh, blindness that comes with loyalty mm-hmm. that you that you don't want to see. You know, you don't want to see what's right in front of your face, even though it's right in front of your face. <laughs> Just look up the IMBD. Come on. <laughs> They're the same dude. They have the same voice. Well, Obi-Wan, by this point in time, actually does know quite a bit. And he says, I do not know much, but I will share with you what the council suspects. <laughs> and I like this. The R2 unit has to leave. I could be recording this. Apparently, I need to take off. <laughs> because they're smart. They know what's up. Darth Sidious is the Sith Lord who orchestrated the Clone Wars and played both sides of it from the beginning. I first learned the name from Count Dooku, though any chance of learning more about Sidious from Dooku has been lost. We're going to cover Obi-Wan and the Jedi Council learning that early in our binge. Mm -hmm. I think it's super important for that just to be knowledge that everyone has and that the, the Jedi don't know what to do about it. It's still the case. Obi-Wan in this moment is still fighting for the Republic, knowing that both sides have been thrown into this war by a single personality, and he's still going down that road. Yeah, he hasn't put the he hasn't put the last puzzle piece. Yeah. This line from Obi-Wan also places us on the timeline. Apparently Anakin just killed Count Dooku, and we see that in episode three Revenge of the Sith. So this hologram is apparently occurring right after or right during the movie. So from here on out, kind of see Revenge of the Sith and this arc progressing in step with one another. 
which I really like just, just from a writing standpoint, they did that so well. Like it, you know, it could have been so cheap and obvious that they're like, well, this just happened in this movie. Ha ha ha. You know, like look at what we're referencing, but it's so quick. Yeah. It's, it's almost flippant. Well, I could, but Anakin just killed him and that's it because they just trust that you if you're watching this, you should probably know. And I love that. They're going to have a handful of overlapping musical moments. This arc ends with one of the characters from Revenge of the Sith making a grand entrance. Ahsoka says to Obi-Wan, Why? Because Count Dooku is dead. Anakin killed him while rescuing the Chancellor. With Dooku gone, we've lost a vital link to understanding the mystery of Darth Sidious. If you can capture Maul, he may be able to provide the missing pieces to this puzzle. Then send me more men. Unfortunately, I cannot. I'm being sent to hunt down General Grievous on Utapal. And that again is another placement of the pieces that we're going to see in Revenge of the Sith. And uh, again, kind of gives us a sense of where we are on the timeline. And Ahsoka then says, What about Anakin? Maybe he can reinforce us. May I speak to Ahsoka alone for a moment? And Rex leaves, looking rather concerned for his friend. And bo leaves, and she looks mad that she's not... Yeah, she does not look happy. <laughs> she's not part of the inside conversation here. I'm just, I'm struck over and over again, and, and I said this in our, our first episode, but I'm going to say it again. Obi-Wan Kenobi is so unhelpful. Yeah. Like, we need you to do all of these things. Great. Send me some more people to help me do that. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that because I have something to do. It's like, then stop asking for all of these things if you're not willing to help. Yeah. It, it just seems like a very Jedi thing to do to, to ask for these almost unachievable tasks, but do nothing to help those results that you're demanding become achieved, become realized. Yeah. Like he knows that Maul would be the solution and yet. Well, and it's it's like we said in the first episode, if he's going to help with this and get involved with that particular storyline, he's got to confront a lot of things. He's got to confront Darth Maul who killed his teacher and mm-hmm. he's got to go to Mandalore where there's tons of history and emotional baggage that he is suppressing actively in his own life. Yeah. I think Obi-Wan Kenobi's judgment is so emotionally clouded, whether he will admit it or not, that he is demanding a lot and helping none. One of the many times in this arc where we're going to see decisions being made that if just one person had made a different decision, <laughs> this would not have gone down this road. Totally. Obi-Wan says to Ahsoka by herself, Anakin is on a special assignment by order of the Jedi Council. What kind of assignment? He has been instructed to observe the Chancellor and report his findings. Observe? You mean spy? They told him to spy on the Supreme Chancellor? Why? Because he is... Oh, never mind. (laughs) The Senate has allowed the Supreme Chancellor to remain in office long after his term has expired. Yeah, just not putting two and two together, yeah. But to me, this is an indicator that they're starting to get wise. I mean, way too late, but yeah. Don't you don't you think that like they're sending Anakin to spy on this guy, so they clearly think there's something about this guy that's shady. Right. I don't. Maybe they haven't quite put it together, which right. is unreal. But obviously, they, they they know something is up. They're just holding the cards very close to the vest. Yeah. Perhaps they think 
I could totally see them thinking that Dooku serves Sidious and that Palpatine serves Sidious and not seeing that Palpatine <laughs> is Sidious. Right. It's, it, there's lots of, and we'll see it in this episode, I suppose, there's lots of those prime minister figures. Of you have figureheads, but there's some power behind the figurehead. Totally. Well, Obi-Wan repeats something that he says in episode three. Anakin, our allegiance is to the Senate, not to its leader, who has managed to stay in office long after his term has expired. So clearly, yeah, they know something suspicious is happening. Just takes them so long right? to figure it out. The Chancellor has been a great friend and mentor to Anakin. I can't imagine he is happy about this. Probably not. No, he's not. This... Yeah, probably not. This is her looking out for Anakin, though. She has relational intelligence, commonly lacking in in the Jedi. (laughs) She is attuned to how the dynamics are going to probably play out and is saying that may not be a good idea. But as you said, Obi-Wan Kenobi's just going to push forward. No, he's not. So perhaps it's best that you do speak with him. (laughs) Like, that's... Also, not a good move. They've been estranged for many years. But everybody likes her, so it does sort of feel like yeah, it's the, it's the one friend or family member that nobody doesn't like. So there is kind of that like, yeah, it's been a while, but God, everybody likes you. Can't you just go talk to him? We mentioned this in the last episode. This is, again, Obi-Wan outsourcing his emotions oh, or yeah, cutting yeah. them off completely. He needs to be the one who steps up for the sake of his brother, who he apparently loves, and he doesn't do it. And that's just another reason that everything falls apart. Ahsoka says, And what? Defend the Council's actions? I hardly think I'm the best person for that. Ahsoka, the Council isn't always right. That's why I'm asking for your help. And then Rex comes in and says, Sorry to interrupt, but there's been an attack. And Obi-Wan Kenobi immediately shuts down that line. You had best go. Ahsoka turns to him and says, Tell Anakin. I will. I have no idea what what she wants to tell Anakin. No, uh uh-uh. I don't know if that's a good moment or a really bad moment. Kind of like we talk about the we talked yeah. about in the in the first episode. There's like a moment where they try to do like an unspoken communication between a couple of the characters, and it just plays awkwardly as a viewer, and it doesn't work. And that's kind of how I feel about this. What are we meant to be understanding here? Yeah, in my mind, it could be one of two things. It's her saying, "You need to tell Anakin," mm. saying, "You're trying to throw this on me, but this needs to be your job," and then Obi Wan saying, "I will," but he doesn't. Or it's like a tell him, be careful, tell him good luck, tell him yeah. to be safe. I don't know. <clears throat> so it's, it seems like more of a, it seems like more of a compassion thing, but it just it just doesn't work well. I I don't think. No, that's what I hear also. So my best read on this would be a second move, which is it would be a common thing for a person to say is I want you to tell Anakin that I love him, and somebody saying. I will. And that actually is something that Kenobi will say to Anakin at the end of episode three. You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. I I wonder if they're not trying to get there. Like we, we have been with this person for years and years and we need to tell him that we love him and neither one of them say it to him prior to his conversion. Yeah. Until it's too late. They either don't say it or it's not said until it's, way too late to do it 
I think that's what they're going for. And that feels like if, if, if you read that into the execution, that feels meaningful. Yeah, that didn't even, that one didn't really occur to me, but it, it's, it still just feels like, I don't know if they, I don't know if they were running out of time or what, but it's like, just let her say it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. That, that was my take. It, it, it was a moment that didn't work that well for me, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we cut outside and see a courtyard with a dozen dead clones laying as though they had just been killed in battle. One clone says, We got ambushed on our way to reinforce the entry port on C-Deck. Rex, make sure C-Deck is properly fortified. Yes, ma'am. <coughs> Commander! I'm here, Trooper. Sterling, isn't it? Yes. You need to know. Maul. He... <coughs> he went right through us. One by one. He was asking about you. <coughs> the Ark Trooper. Jesse, Maul realized he was older, somehow looked in his mind, <coughs> and he took him. He took Jesse alive. And then we peer down a sewer passage, and we cut to this interrogation. Is there anything we're saying? That feels like it's moving the plot along, but was anything we're saying about that courtyard scene? Yeah, it feels expository. Maul has Jesse. Jesse's interesting. He's a clone with a large face tattoo of the Republic symbol, uh, which, I mean, if you can imagine a, an American warrior who has an American flag tattooed across their face, that's apparently that's where this guy is at in terms of their devotion, their, their sense of purpose and self. <laughs> yeah, they're all in. <laughs> they, this, they have doubled down. There is no going back from a face tattoo. <laughs> Jesse is surrounded by all of Maul's senior warriors, and he says, You're wasting your time. I won't tell you anything. And by the way, with Jesse, Jesse's going to be a big part of the binge. We're going to see him in a couple of arcs. Um, he's going to be in the Umbar arc, which is a famous arc, and we're going to see him here soon in an episode called The Deserter. And he, yeah, he just comes across as that patriotic soldier. And apparently, as uh, you know, as we've said in the past, he's part of the 501st. So he's a Green Beret. And so here he's being interrogated. And of course, what do you expect a Green Beret to say being interrogated? I'm not going to tell you anything. And here we go. And there's th this feels like a this feels like a, another Star Wars moment, too, where it's where it's just the, the, the interrogation scene of one one character being so stubborn. And they're saying there's no way you're going to get anything out of me. Yeah. And and it a very experienced evil force user being like, doesn't matter if you want to tell me anything or not. I'm probably going to get it out of you and I'm either going to get the information or your brain is going to break. It's going to be one of the two. Yep. It's true. I didn't think about that. Poe Dameron is an yeah. interrogation scene. Princess Leia in New Hope is an interrogation scene. And now, Your Highness, we will discuss the location of your hidden rebel base. Even Han Solo. I mean, Han Solo is in one in, oh, in Empire as well. He gets tortured. Not with the force, but, you know, still. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. Because you'll, you'll know this because afterwards he says, they didn't even ask me any questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they just want him to suffer so that it so that Luke feels the suffering. Yeah, which is brilliant. And, and just, so brilliant. Uh, can we just say, Harrison Ford's performance of that is so great. <laughs> 
like yeah. just it, it, how he's getting it's not too much like it, it's it's yep. almost too little in his reaction to the like it oh, it's so good it's such a good performance zip zap yeah and then screaming ah, ooh, ah, yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's when harrison ford shows up with it with harrison ford with the harrison fordness turned on he's always yeah. good he's always good so true maul says to him how charming that you actually believe that statement to be true. <laughs> Clones. Dreadful combat all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. It's <laughs> a good joker line there. Jesse says, What plan? What are you talking about? The plan. The only plan that matters. I love that line. That one gets me. I'm like, that's a great way to think of this. Yeah. It's the only plan that matters. Not even I was made aware of its grand design. But I played my part. And do you know what happened to me? I was cast aside. I was forgotten. But I survived. And I can thrive in the chaos that is to come. Maul turns to his right-hand henchman, to Saxon, and he says, Saxon, information is a valuable commodity. See to it that the Prime Minister does not become an asset to our enemy. Yes, my lord. And leaves. No, there are some things I need to know, and you're going to help me. We can go round and round in this circle if you want. I ain't telling you anything. It is not up to you. Your mind will speak. Or it will break. Tell me. Who is this? The Sogatano. And we watch as Saxon is leaving, and behind him, Jesse is beginning to scream in pain. That seems like a common, I couldn't put my thumb on it, but that seems like a common image in film. Yeah. Of somebody being tortured while somebody is leaving the room, kind of, maybe not yeah, and, shaken, but. And now that you're me. saying that, my brain is like flashing images, but none of them are descriptive enough for me to be like, and like in that movie or that movie. But yeah, it, yeah. that's a that's pretty common. The one that hit me is uh there's a bruce willis denzel washington movie that was like a siege of new york city kind of movie and he and willis was torturing somebody and it just reminded me of that but i'm sure there's yeah it's yeah it's just not coming to me the siege the siege hey siege of mandalore the siege i bet you that maybe that was where it's from that's a hell of a cast denzel washington annette benning tony shalhoub yeah bruce willis it, it's a rough, it's a rough torture scene. That one. I feel like I've seen that. It just been, a, just been a minute. Well, and that's to to go back to what we were talking about earlier, right? When 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 you realize that that character has been taken by Darth Maul, it is definitely expositional. But it also feels like, while there's not a lot that he knows about Ahsoka, it does sort of feel like, in the way that you know, you can make chess moves to draw out the higher playing game pieces. It does feel like he knows enough about Ahsoka to say, I'm going to take this guy to draw her out. I want to know more about her. So I'm going to grab this guy. Yeah. Cause she's too good. That's right. 
We're talking about Maul, actually, on following this, because he's revealing a lot of his backstory here, that he was just, he wasn't made aware, he played his part, he was cast aside and forgotten. We did a brief introduction with Maul last time. Popular character. Yeah. I remember going to see episode one. Kelly and I slept out uh, at the uh, Continental in Denver, Colorado, largest theater <laughs> west of the Mississippi, to see some episode one. with uh, There was at least 150 other yahoos who decided to pitch their tents out there, and uh, the guy next to us had a Darth Maul blow-up like sunbathing chair. Now, <laughs> 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 one thing that George is good at is merchandising. That's where the real money from the movie is made. Merchandising. Spaceballs, the t-shirt. Spaceballs, the breakfast cereal. Visually compelling character. Spaceballs, the doll. But we mentioned this last time that just such a lost opportunity in terms of what they do with episode one, and that it gets all reclaimed with what they do in uh, the end of Clone Wars, this episode, this arc, and then stuff that we're going to see in Rebels. Yeah, they, they create almost a Shakespearean character with with him in this arc it's a very richard the third kind of a feel to him in the sense that he is cast aside and overlooked and now to an extent misshapen and and malformed mm-hmm. and and believes he is destined for greater things and and he's going to go after them it's it's very shakespearean yeah. and i love the way it's i love the way it plays out cuz yeah it's a character that is sort of a ridiculous write off getting his getting his Real common kind of character, the character who's empowered by vengeance. It's it's super clear what this guy's motive is most of the time. I'm seeking to get as much power as I can so that I can destroy the people who hurt me. I think even more motivationally, it's the fact that he has been cast aside that also influences that yeah. pursuit of power. It's, you know, I got, I got thrown away because I was no longer useful. Just you wait and see you know, how important to this I'm going to yeah. be. Just wait and see the mistake you made in, in casting me aside or overlooking me. His whole story, his whole story from beginning to end, because we will, they they have uh, scenes where he eventually dies. I mean, everybody eventually dies, but, but that's part of the story at some point. And he's a, what, he's a Zabraki male. He's from the planet Dathomir. His mother is a character that we're going to meet soon. Her name is Mother Talzin. Uh, she is the leader of the Night Sisters. She's going to be associated with Asajj Ventress, who we'll meet uh, here soon as well. Sidious takes Maul as his apprentice when he's still a child, and he is raised to hate the Jedi. He ends up killing one Jedi Master, Qui-Gon, and getting cut in half by another. And that... Anger and hatred, both for Kenobi, who cut him in half, and Sidious, who abandoned him. How will that get played out? It's They actually do a great job putting together a real bow on that by the end. So just to put a pin in that, that as the story unfolds, it's elegantly told. I don't know how much of that you want to talk about, because that's most of what I went down a rabbit trail of reading about this afternoon mm-hmm. was, was his mom, his siblings. That theme of sort of being cast aside and overlooked seems to run throughout that whole family. We'll get there. There's, there's a handful of, there's an arc that we're going to look at. Okay, cool. Two arcs in which the mother uh, Towson character comes into play. The, the, a real interesting new side to the dark side. Very like witchcrafty. 
Yeah. Almost like if you watch old Universal monster movies, like the 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 way that gypsies are portrayed a little bit, yep. like that sort of mystic same voice kind of as the 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 Wolfman uh, Maliva character. Yeah. Some of the better things that they do in the Clone Wars is expanding the universe, you know, and just making it bigger. And there's more characters and more faces to the light side of the Force, the dark side of the Force, and and Mother Talzin will be a a big part of some of some of the more interesting points there yeah well cool then I'll, I'll save some of my thoughts about that we will commonly know this character as darth maul but he's never called darth maul here because he is no lo- because he's been abandoned he is no longer a sith lord and that makes him similar in some ways to ahsoka who is no longer a jedi that parallel, these two characters are going to, to have a lot of commonality, and it might be one of the reasons that there's real magnetic pull from Maul in this episode. Now having watched it a second time, yep. and, and through all of their scenes together, I was like, oh, you're different versions of the same character. Yeah. You're, you're this character if they went the right way, and you're this character if they went the wrong way. It's, it's leaving this this dogmatic system, deciding it doesn't work for you, rejecting it and going away. And do you do something good with it? In Ahsoka's mm-hmm. case, you sort of become you sort of become just this free agent for what is good and pure and right. Or do you leave it and and still only think about yourself and what you are owed? And, and, and they're, they're two sides of the same coin, for lack of a less cheesy comparison. Yep. It's done really, really well. The universe uh, creators know this as well, and Maul's going to be part of the Ahsoka novel if you get a chance to read that. So that's just consistently kind of coming back to these characters are in interaction with one another, and their conversations are always really interesting because of their mm-hmm. very similar pasts. Well, we cut to another interrogation. This time, the prime minister is being interrogated. So we, we move into Almec's cell. He's been arrested. Uh, Bo-Katan walks in. I'm flattered that you could find the time to see me. What's Maul's plan? How is he going to escape? Cut to business. <laughs> Maul is not trying to escape because he sees no point in doing so. So he believes he can defeat us? No, that's not it. For weeks now, he's been consumed by a strange sense of dread. Has he mentioned Sidious? Not that I can recall. You said he wanted Kenobi here. Why? It wasn't just Kenobi he wanted, no. Uh, there was someone else he was interested in. Who? If only I could remember the name. Which is just inviting oh, yeah. someone to... Fezzik, jog his memory. I was just going to say you know, that... <laughs> <laughs> it's like god if you want to pretend like you don't remember something don't say it like that in a way that communicates obviously i know and i'm just not telling you because i am pretentious ha 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 like to actually say god i wish i could remember oh god hang on it'll come it'll, i got nothing like you, just do it like that idiot soka does say Bo, help him remember notice ahsoka not using her jedi powers to to delve into this person's mind Instead, she's getting Bo-Katan to do it. I don't know if that's a positive for Ahsoka or a negative. Choosing not to use your powers to mentally extract information. I kind of like it just because this character, and she's seen it, has been so 
chauvinisty and dismissive and disrespectful of Bo-Katan yeah. in the first episode. It just feels like a really nice moment to be like, all right, you want to play it like that? This woman uh, uh, t- towards whom you've been rude and disrespectful and dismissive of, she's going she's gonna to give you the business. That's right. And how quickly it uh, becomes aware yeah. that he knows she's better than him. <laughs> she's got her eye on your, uh, your office space as well. <laughs> take over that leadership of Mandalore position from you. Yeah. I'll make... No, wait. It was... <laughs> Get shot by a sniper. Similar scene to Attack of the Clones. There's a sniper scene in which Kenobi and Anakin are trying to get information from someone. Do you know who it was you were trying to kill? <laughs> it was a senator from Naboo. And who hired you? It's just a job. Who hired you? Tell us. Tell us now! It was a bounty hunter called. Mm-hmm. Bo-Katan looks behind her and she says, Saxon! And she runs after him, and Ahsoka yells for a medic. Rex comes in, he says, This is Commander Rex, we have a man down. Almec looks at Ahsoka. Oh, had a vision, a dream. The name came to him. What name? Sky. Dun, dun, dun. Obvious rhyme here with uh, Yoda's death. Yoda does the same thing. What he says, there's one. There's one other Skywalker. It felt like that. The thing about rhymes, and I've said this in the past, but the oftentimes the show creators put the words of villains into the mouths of heroes and here they're putting the mouth of a hero yoda into the mouth of this villain it's just kind of tasty yeah it moves the plot along and it has that 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 rhyme to it and except this one is the first skywalker yes he's yeah uh, it's nice we see bo-katan chasing after saxon down an elevator shaft and boca is caught underneath the elevator eventually which she brings to stop with her jetpack which which is just an awesome scene and i, and I really yeah you want to talk about that scene being an oral medium it's it's hard to just sit and describe it but just yeah. to watch this scene it is she's such a badass character she's above it then she's below it and she's she stops the elevator it's just she she's such a great character i was having a hard time recreating this verbally <laughs> I know, right? but that's exactly it it is showing that she is a warrior and even when she's on her own she can handle herself the image there it felt like there's a scene in man of steel where superman is kind of underneath some sort of laser and it, it felt like real similar imagery to her holding up the, the elevator do you know what it made me think of there's a scene in toy story Two, uh-huh. where where they're fighting the evil Zerg and they're in an elevator. Oh sure, and that's all. I, through the yeah. whole, the whole second watch through, I kept thinking of that Toy Story two scene. I suppose there's a now that we're mentioning elevators. There's an elevator scene in Revenge of the Sith. Anakin and Obi Wan oh. are going oh. up and down in the elevators, and yeah, yeah. Well, there's more than one way out of here. We don't want to get out. We want to get moving. R two, activate elevator. Anyway. Yeah, this this one is good, man. Bo-Katan <laughs> is... is um, m- most of my commentary on this is just going to be about how much I really love this character. Yeah. Which adds nothing constructive other than to just say, it's so cool. Right. There's some Iron Man going on in some of these. Like the, oh, the choreography yeah. of uh, 
the Mandalorians at times can really feel like it's Iron Man-ish. 100%. The arrival of, you know, of all the Mandalorian soldiers to save Din Djarin, it feels like that. It feels like it's like you called all them, you know. The, you get all the suits, the are the, the ones that show up in, in Iron Man 3. Yeah, the the, the third version of all, all those suits showing up is pretty badass. That's it. We cut back to Maul under Sindari. Saxon approaches, and we see Maul speaking with three crime syndicate leaders. Uh, we see the leaders of the Pikes and Black Sun. These are Star Wars mafia bosses. And we see Dryden Voss, who we meet in Solo. Yeah. Who runs Crimson Dawn. This is the Shadow Collective. This is all some new stuff for uh, non, non-film stuff. But uh, the Shadow Collective is a network of Star Wars gangsters who are under Maul, and they are consolidating power. And obviously, given Maul's pursuit, likely seeking to overthrow Darth Sidious or carve out a niche similar to uh, what the Huts control, and they fade out. And, and I don't know if that scene matters more than just kind of that sprinkling of fan service and universe building but i thought that was fun backstory there i doubt that it matters i guess in the grand scheme of things but kind of like you it's just it's just such a fun moment and as you know i love the movie solo quite a lot and and Mm -hmm. and seeing the i would love to see a star wars equivalent of the godfather or or or, or casino or that type of just the just the seedy outer rim that stuff. I would love a show or a movie about that. So so seeing those little glimpses of it just just kind of gives me the like, oh, it's the meeting of the crime families and I love it. That's exactly what I thought. I think that's the best scene in Godfather is the meeting of the five families uh, after Corleone's son has been killed and he needs to make it appear as though we're all going to be at peace moving forward and the whole time he's setting up Michael yep. to slaughter all these people. And it's so clever. How did things ever get so far? I don't know. We're so unfortunate, so unnecessary. The guy lost the son. I lost the son. We're quits. And if the Tally agrees, then I'm willing to. Let things go on the it's one way of the they best scenes before. in The Godfather because it's one of the few scenes in The Godfather where something happens. <laughs> I don't like that movie. You're not a fan of The Godfather? I love gangster movies, but my God, The Godfather is boring. Shot in part by uh, one George Lucas. Yeah. Godfather, you want to talk about sequels? Godfather Part 2 is great. Yeah. Because it's, it's all the flashback stuff with De Niro where you see young, young Corleone. Uh, that's interesting. See, I'm the opposite. I could watch Godfather all day long and Godfather 2. Huh. I need to give it another shot. The first time I watched it, it, just it wasn't for me. Yeah. Well, Saxon returns to the underground lair and he says, what's going on? And Rootcast, who is another of Maul's close Mandalorian soldiers. These soldiers, by the way, are called Super Commandos. What's going on? And she says, Maul just told the syndicate leaders to go into hiding. Maul then turns and he says to these soldiers, You once liberated me from my imprisonment by Sidious and his apprentice. 
At the time, I thought Dooku was an old fool, but now, now I see. He and I are the same. One step behind. The dark side has never been stronger. I don't know if you have thoughts on this, but he's referencing a backstory that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. It actually was a... There's a comic that's out. It's called Darth Maul, the Son of Dathomir. So it's not actually part of Clone Wars, so I can spoil it here. But Maul gets imprisoned in a remote fortress called the Spire. Uh, this happened just recently, before being rescued by Saxon and Rook and a team of these Mandalorian commandos. And these soldiers are former members of Death Watch. And we're going to learn a lot more about Death Watch here in a bit. That's going to be important both for Clone Wars, but you'll know from watching The Mandalorian that the Watch mm -hmm. is this cult that Din Djarin is adopted into. For now, all we need to know is that Maul has this, you know, loyal army with a history of sacrificing for him. That's actually important. Also that Maul is a strategist. He's reading the moves of Sidious throughout this episode and seeking to thwart them. And at some point, we're going to see why Maul hates Sidious so much as opposed to it's not just his abandonment. There might be more there than just uh, this person left me after I got cut in half. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if there's anything we're saying there, but that's just some some background to the, the language here. He's referring to something that apparently is important, and that's why it was. I also kind of like in these moments where it feels like a very evil character trait where, where you realize that you're a little bit behind the ball on on knowing things that some people do, and, and they're impressed by that rather mm -hmm. than... Oh, man, I can't believe I didn't know the thing. It's like, oh, I see that I was behind. Yeah. Oh, hmm. And there's like the, the being impressed at being wrong is such an interesting trait. Yeah. Because I'm angry when I find out that I'm like two steps behind everybody else. I am I am disappointed in myself and frustrated. I'm never like, oh, damn, that was so impressive. Way to, way yeah. to trick me. There's like an appreciation here from Maul. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. It's spot on. Yeah, that's a higher level characteristic of a villain. If there's actual humility in a villain, that villain is formidable. Right, yeah, because it's, it's not Kylo Ren punching a hole in the wall. Yeah. Throwing a tantrum, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's sort of a respect for somebody who knows how to play the game better than you. It's true. We will meet... A villain in Rebels, and apparently this villain's going to be a huge part of Star Wars going forward, which is one... Grand Admiral Thrawn. That's him. Yeah. Very humble character, and yet highly intelligent. And it's a, it's a good mixture, and obviously has villainous ambitions. Now I'm trying to think of other villains that, that fall into that category, because I don't know that there are a lot of them. Of all things, the only other villain that came to my mind was Magua from... The uh, Last of the Mohicans. Have you seen this movie? I love this movie. I have. I have. He's seeking to avenge the death of his, his, his family and his wife had been stolen. And he consistently is having to put himself in a servant position to serve the English. But he's really an infiltrator in that posture of I'm going to humble myself in order to assassinate those who I want to assassinate. Maybe that's it, the the sniper. No, that's a that's a really good one. I haven't seen I haven't seen that movie in a long time. It's a, it's really good though. It's enjoyable. Oh I, yeah, yeah. It's a gorgeously shot. 
gorgeous and the music is great and and it's one of the f- it's it's a good Daniel Day Lewis movie in in yeah. the sense that like he he's doing while he might still be doing some of the method stuff that he's known for it it feels like he's not wanting you to see how hard he's acting as opposed yeah. to some of the movies he's done where it's like oh my god we get it I <laughs> just and the guy who plays Magua is was it Wesley Wes Studi yeah sensational actor I don't know that I could name a Daniel Day Lewis movie in which Daniel Day Lewis was clearly the second best actor but that dude <laughs> shows up in that movie he is amazing. Yes, in Last of the Mohicans, I, I will say, as good as it is, he's like the third or fourth best actor in Lincoln. <laughs> Lincoln is one of the most rewatchable movies for me. I oh yeah, love, I love, love it. it, it it's it is an exceptional movie, but I just feel like yeah, based only on the parameters you set out, there are there are at least four better actors in that. Than <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> so I took us way off into left field. Sorry. <laughs> Well, Rook says to Maul, My lord, what does it mean? Soon, the galaxy will be remade. And in the chaos, we must seize what power we can. And then all the commandos surround Maul, and he says to them all, in kind of a rah-rah speech, It is not the way of your people to hide here in the gutters if you die i promise you it will be on the field of battle and if you die you will die as warriors they're all inspired and they're ready to go apparently that's all it took was don't you know what uh what the history of your people is i I really like this scene and, and what Maul says a little bit before that, the idea of, of basically everything is going to get destroyed and reborn, and in that chaos we need to we need to grab what we can, because it's one of the few characters you hear in Star Wars that isn't talking about something as if it's some great prophecy or some great meaning. It's just True. the universe is chaos, and in that chaos we need we need to try to achieve something. And that's pretty rare for Star Wars characters to sort of acknowledge the randomness of the universe and not that everything's being held together by this great plan. And I think that's fascinating dialogue. We're going to come back to that kind of thought process when he confronts Ahsoka later as well. I want to say lots about chaos and the lack of anything that we might call justice or virtue or goodness he's going to talk quite a bit about that or even driving guiding force yeah 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 and i think that's fascinating yeah it's the his he has a a philosophy about whether there's meaning in the world i suppose it's the case this brings us back to our conversation about kenobi last time because kenobi also has that there's no such thing as luck i'm not sure there's a driving meaning behind this the only thing i might be holding on to is that Anakin's the chosen one, but that's going to get blown apart. <laughs> yeah, you know? no kidding. And there's a there's an overlap. I didn't think about that with Maul and Kenobi just thinking this might be all purposeless. They both lose quite a bit. Which again, I think is it's it's you know our experiences inform the way we think the universe works, right? So it's like yeah. rather than think I've made a lot of choices that have put my life on the path towards this trajectory mm-hmm. rather than sort of do some self searching. It's it's well, the universe must be pointless and random as opposed yeah. to like, how can I make changes? And I think that would be the critique of them both. 
they both there just needs to be a good self-help hologram in the star wars world that somebody can just pop on around oh it's we have choices yoda yoda should have been spending his time making holocrons and not Doing what Yoda was doing. What was Yoda doing? <laughs> it's hard to hard to know, really. <laughs> Hanging out with the younglings. Coming up with fortune cookie style dialogue for himself. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> well, we cut to outside, and we see Mandalorian refugees leaving the city. Bo-Katan says, "This occupation cannot last much longer. The people will not stand for it. I will not stand." And for they it. move inside. Rex is there, and Ahsoka is there. And Rex says, You asked for our help. My men don't want to be acting as a police force. The Republic forces will depart once we capture Maul. Then you will have your opportunity to lead. And the doors open to the Mandalorian throne room. And in the distance, we see Maul sitting on a throne. And Jesse is bound at his feet. I agree. Bo-Katan sees Maul, and she just starts sprinting at him and pulls out her blasters and just starts firing at his head. And Maul just waves the bolts away. Which feels very reminiscent of the dining room scene in Empire, when, when the doors open and Vader's seated and, and Han Solo just starts, you know, firing at him right away. And just, yep. yeah, Vader just white waves away the, the blaster bolts. We would be honored if you would join us. Yeah, that's another rhyme, like how, how these uh, Sith masters, these dark side users, can manipulate blaster fire. Kylo Ren does it also. He suspends the blaster fire in midair with yeah. Poe Dameron at the beginning of Force Awakens. I'm trying to think of other ones. that Does that happen with Luke? Does Luke ever manipulate blaster fire? No. I suppose. I don't believe so. Anakin's kind of dodging blaster fire at the beginning of this arc, yeah. Yeah. Maul force lifts. Bokatan up in the air and with some discomfort says My lady, is that any way to treat your rightful ruler? And then he turns and he says And now is a show of good faith. I return your comrade in arms to you. And the cuffs drop from Jesse's hand. Real similar image to Return of the Jedi again when, when Luke's cuffs go. Did you catch that as well? Mm-hmm. I liked that one. You no longer need those. Visually, it has nothing to do with Return of the Jedi. It's just one of those just visually interesting, oh, okay, same move. I enjoy in these types of scenes with these types of villainous characters, it really seems like there's one thing they want to do, and they're almost, if if they could have it their way, they wouldn't be doing all of the other fighting and battling and everything else that is going on. It's like, look, I want this thing, and you want this guy. I'm going to give this guy back to you. If we could talk about what I want, then I will just leave. Yeah. Such an interesting type of character where it's like they're doing despicable, horrible things, but it's like, look, I'm doing this as a a result of what, what you did. I wanted to just show up, give you your guy, and go. But now we're doing this. <laughs> it's it's it, those are some of the most interesting bad guys for me. Suppose to the case that he's priming the pump for the pitch that has been on his mind for a while. I'm a good yeah. guy. I'm gonna. I'm treating your your men with respect. Yeah, he just wants to talk, kind of. Run along. There you go. Back to your brothers. Are you all right, Jesse? I'm sorry, Commander. I couldn't help it. I told them everything. It's okay. Rex, get him out of here. 
And then we see blasts from outside and we see Mandalorian soldiers taking to the sky out the window. Just beautiful scene here. The throne room in Mandalore has a lot of Minas Tirith going on in my mind. Yeah. It's a... Those big windows. Yeah, it's like cathedral-esque. Yeah. But the 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 window side of this is a, is a huge part of it. And obviously lots of the visuals and the, the fight that's going to ensue. Maul says... Uh, one of you might want to deal with that. Just dismissive. <laughs> you should go. Your people need you. Don't stay on my account. We'll be fine. Go. The Bo-Katan has that choice. Do I fight the person I hate or do I go fight for the people that I care for? And this actually shows her character that she chooses her people. It's, it's what I said in, in our first episode, she is shown as being all of the things the Jedi don't like, sort of angry and emotional and, and driven by those things, yet mm-hmm. routinely those push her to make the right choices. Yeah, this is the right choice. Captain Ahab is going to keep chasing the damn fish. To the detriment of his entire crew. Yeah, and she does not make that choice here. She yeah. makes that, I'm going to go fight alongside my people for the health of my people. She had already been talking about how the refugees needed support she's a worthy ruler which you see her do in at the end of the mandalorian too like there's the thing she wants and she doesn't get it and yet she still chooses not to immediately engage in another fight yeah she defers to the mission at hand yeah and even the rules like here is how the ancient system has worked and just because she has power she's not gonna overwhelm it we have we have a tradition and this tradition has served us and that shows character. This is the way. This is the way. <laughs> Bo-Katan, in this scene, is still actually a pretty young person. And as we saw last time, you know, fueled by the death of her sister. Yeah. It'll be real interesting to talk about her motives. I had not thought about her motives at all in, in the couple of viewings you know, that I've done. But I think her motives are really going to be worth diving into as as we go along well it's and I, i'm kind of the opposite like she's she is one of my favorite parts of this whole arc yeah so i've thought a lot about it which my hope is just if i keep talking about how great this character is we can just get katie sackoff to come do this podcast with us katie we have at least 10 followers i'm actually yeah. lying now we have no followers we haven't released any of these this is our only our second episode <laughs> But we would love to have you on. And how. Cut to outside. We see those. We see the clone soldiers fighting Maul's forces. And then we pick up another rhyme in Star Wars. And this is the confrontation in a throne room or in a, a space that is fairly dark while a battle is going on outside. And I love this beat. And it happens in almost all the Star Wars films. Vader pulls Luke away to be by himself while there's a battle raging. Mm-hmm. Emperor pulls Luke away while there's a battle raging outside the Death Star. Kylo Ren finds Rey, and they are isolated while a battle is raging over mm-hmm. Starkiller Base. And it's just over and over again. This is, uh, and here it is. There's a battle raging, and Maul has isolated Ahsoka Tana in the throne room. Which just tactically seems very smart to me because while the Sith seems to be all about isolation, 
on the opposite side, the, the, the rebels, the alliance are all about community and, and being together to, to defeat things. So it just seems like the best way mm. to get inside of someone's head and to sort of feed them lies or, or, or an alternative version of the truth to kind of corrupt them to your side. The best way to do that is when something big is happening. Mm-hmm. So all of their friends are distracted. You have them by the, you have them by themselves because it's easier to screw around with somebody's brain when nobody's there to say that is not true and you know that. Yeah. Really, really evil, brilliant tactic. I suppose it's the case to go one step further. The same sort of thing is happening to Anakin at this very moment with Sidious. Yeah. There's a battle raging. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, Obi-Wan has, has gone away to fight and Anakin's got pulled into isolation. Yeah. It's 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 a good move. Again, the writers and directors here just, you know, adding quintessential Star Wars moments to this makes it into a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And it's just a it's a beautiful trope that gets brought here. And and this is a stellar scene with real stakes. Maul looks at her and says, Look at them. So blissfully ignorant. He's the one that knows. Care to tell me what this is all about? Or would you rather save it for the council? <laughs> oh no. You are the one that I wish to speak with. Were you not cast out of your order? I left voluntarily. Yes, but you were motivated to leave by the hypocrisy of the Jedi Council. We were both tools for greater powers. Ah, I love all that. Yeah, it's it's the quintessential dark side of the Force playbook to try to needle somebody. Didn't didn't you kind of get forced out of this thing too? Mm-hmm. And wasn't it kind of because you were mistreated and and kind of there's hypocrisy and and things that upset you and doesn't that make you mad? Isn't that why you left? Weren't you angry? Like think about how angry you are. It just in an attempt to kind of needle them into that emotional place of losing control. Like the Emperor does with Luke, like Darth mm-hmm. Vader does with Luke, and 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 Ahsoka is not really taking the bait on it at this point, which I really like. It's like, well, no, I chose to do this. Well, yeah, but here's why. Yeah, here's where you and I are the same. Yeah, where you think that we're enemies and we're not. We actually have the same, very similar stories. She doesn't have necessarily a future. Left the Jedi Order. What's she been doing? She's been hunting Maul. And now he's here, and now he's going to make a move to say, let me picture how your your future could be, given what I know about where everything in the galaxy is going. That's a good move. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. I don't think it's working, but it's on paper a very good plan. Well, they then go another level down in terms of a foundational discussion. She says, I am here to bring you to justice. Justice is merely the construct of the current power base. A base which, according to my calculations, is about to change. There it is. There is no meaning. There's only what you create. This is an existentialist move here. It's, I'm going to tell you that there is chaos coming. Do you have what it takes to navigate the chaos? Do you even have any friends who are going to be beside you in the chaos? Because apparently she left all that. Yeah. Who, is th- who, who cares about her? It might just be him when he reaches out his hand. Right. Except 
Except he doesn't. Except he doesn't. But, you know, and, and that's that's the thing that makes him a villain, right? Like it's it's all about making people think that you care about them to join you, and then once once they have or if they don't, as we see in another moment with 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 Maul in in this episode, when when he is asked for help for people who he has sort of built up, and then basically yep. goes, "Nah, I'm good. You're on your yep. own." Like there's, he's just as random as the universe he's he's talking about. That's exactly right. Ahsoka pushes, she's got her investigative hat on still and says, And Darth Sidious is behind it? He is behind everything. In the shadows, always, but soon, very soon. He will reveal himself. With your help, the Jedi can stop Sidious before it's too late. And Maul... I like this line as a villain. The the thing about villains, um, I forgot who said this, but in defining the villain, one writer says, villains are the character in a story who know the most and care the least. Ooh. Isn't that good? That's real good. And that's who he is. He knows, he understands better than anyone else in this episode what's going on. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying, he doesn't care about anybody. And that comes out in this next line. He says, Too late for what? The Republic to fall? It already has, and you just can't see it. There is no justice, no law, no order, except for the one that will replace it. For those of you who really like Nietzsche, that's, there's a lot of the <laughs> madman going on in, in this. The time of the Jedi has passed. God is dead. They cannot defeat Sidious. But together, you and I can. And then he holds out his hand. Every choice you have made has led you to this moment. Real similar framing here to Kylo Ren extending his hand to Rey as well. Which, those are, those are beautifully shot. Yeah. Any thoughts there? It's a great scene. It's just great writing, great scene, very well performed. Yes. Uh, in the animation and in the vocal performances. Yeah. It, and it, it's just interesting to me that in in all of his pushing and all of his sort of grandstanding and speech making, I feel like Ahsoka is so anchored by what is what is true and mm-hmm. what is good. Yep. That she's only asking questions. It, it doesn't even feel mm. like she's tempted. It doesn't even feel like she's tempted by what he's saying. It's just she is. Her anchor is the truth, and as long as there's that to hold on to, she. It doesn't seem like she's going to be swayed by this pitch, because that's not what she's here for. Yeah, I like that. I mean, again, to philosophy nerd out, the the language that Maul uses is that of Thrasymachus in Plato's Republic which is um, a dialogue with Socrates, and that's what Socrates does. It's all questions. And Thrasymachus is a very... Justice is defined by who has the power character. That's what he represents. And uh, there's a lot of that going on in exactly that way. It's one person questioning and one just saying, no, it's just power, it's just power, it's just power. By the way, that's Plato's Republic, and the Republic in Star Wars is going to fall. That's what they're dialoguing about. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And Plato, it, once it gets into the carpet and cracks, is uh, irremovable. <laughs> and it's just like the Empire <laughs> and Sidious, how he's slowly. I just, I wanted to, uh, we were very highbrow there. And for, for everybody else, I wanted to, myself included, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, go a little lowbrow. 
I'm really into this idea that there's nobody. Actually, I take it back. There's one person that really cares about Ahsoka, and she knows it. And it's not Anakin. It's Rex. Yeah. That's who cares about her. And I, I, I like if he's always holding out his hand, who, who does she care for in that moment? What's giving her grounding? I think you're right. Like She's been raised in a tradition where it's goodness and the virtue of the Jedi's is, is stabilizing her. But she's ready to take his hand. Yeah? I mean, that's going to actually be... Well, let's just play it out. The battle is going on outside. The windows explode. It's kind of this visual image of just everything breaking apart. Yeah, which is that's another great scene. Just the... Just visually, that's so compelling to look at. I suppose one last thing that needs to be noted is Maul has not lied. Everything Maul says is true. Yeah? Yeah. But, that, I mean, that's another manipulative tactic, though, right? I mean, you, you can tell somebody the truth and still have bad intent and, and not be doing the right thing. And that's exactly it. It is a manipulative tactic. He's correct that the Jedi can't defeat Sidious. He might also be right that Ahsoka and Maul together could. That deliberation, yeah. What's the window breaking about then? Like, she's deliberating, the window explodes. It feels like the thing that interrupts the conversation and undoes, maybe undoes some of the work that he's doing. You know, when you're locked into this conversation, you kind of forget that the world is happening around you. Then suddenly this explosion kind of forces you to remember, like, maybe this is not that important right now. Not Mm. for a character, maybe like Ahsoka. Like, you realize suddenly there's this much bigger thing happening and there's a reason that we're all here and we got to fight this guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Literally shocking you out of the, the existential turmoil that's, I guess, happening in this scene, maybe. Yeah. So we're recording this a, a few weeks after the uh, the events of January 6th and windows are broken. Mm-hmm. There's something about like this throne room has been there for hundreds and hundreds, thousands. I'm, I'm, it may be that this is thousands of years old and the windows breaking is like all the order is shattered. You know, it's like when the Capitol windows are broken. Or it's even, it's it's Victor Hugo having soldiers set against the Cathedral of Notre Dame. Yeah. It's yeah. If, if if you've come to the point where nothing is special and nothing is sacred and there's no reverence for anything, yes. that really means your society has fallen if throne rooms, places of worship, places of government and yeah. democracy, if suddenly they're so meaningless that they can be blown up, it's time time to time to take a serious look at what, what we're doing. I think that's what's going on here with the windows is it's because the Republic has, has existed for a thousand years at this point in time. And Maul is saying it's all coming crashing down. What are you going to do about it? I bet you that's what's, what they want to visualize there. <laughs> and then it literally comes crashing down. Yeah. But it does feel like that pulls her out of that existential loop and, yeah. and puts her more into action when it happens. And notice where she goes. So when, when governments fall, when you're the symbols of your faith are completely destroyed. When all of that's torn apart, you go. You have to go to some depthy levels. What do you really care about most? And that's where her dialogue goes. She says, I will help you. But you must answer one question. You have but to ask. And this is where her heart is. She says, what do you want with Anakin Skywalker? 
it's family. When when she gets pushed to that spot where all of the symbols are broken down and he says it's all going to burn, what is the one thing that I'm still committed to? And it's 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 her family here. And that's the thing, right? I mean, and that's the thing that sort of keeps her centered and keeps her in check yeah. and keeps her from going to that place. It's Sirius Black and Harry Potter saying, I was imprisoned mm. and the one thought that kept me going was that I was innocent and, and I had this, you know, and he had family and he was innocent and that's not something that could be beaten out of me because it's not necessarily a happy thought, but it's keeping me going and, and keeping me from slipping into madness or, or yeah, in it, not being human and that's the same thing with her, right? Like that's going to keep, she's willing to team up with him because she knows it's the mm-hmm. right plan and it's going to make the most amount of sense to get her where she needs to go but it is going to be because she cares about people and cares about truth that that's going to tether her and keep her from, she's going to team up with him, she's not going to join him. I'm going to l- use that language in the next episode as well. Yeah. I like this image of the family being kind of the North Star here. Because that's a very Star Wars move. The original trilogy is all about family. Mm-hmm. Rebels is all about family. And I think that's what's going on here. Is this? It's all falling apart, but I'm going to push into, into love. We'll end up talking quite a bit about love throughout the binge, but here she loves her brother, Anakin. Yeah, 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 yeah. What does uh, Maul want with Skywalker? He says, He is the key to everything. To bring balance to the force. Because, of course, that's what she's been told for years and years and years. And Maul says, To destroy. He has long been groomed for his role as my master's new apprentice. That line is gold. Just legit gold. To destroy. <laughs> and with no real explanation. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's not cut and dry like a prophecy. Like, he will bring balance to the fore. It, it's mm-hmm. not he will destroy the things that we have, whatever. It, it, is just, it is just the word destroy. And that could, that could be anything. Yep. Nobody in the galaxy knows better than Maul what Anakin's task looks like because Maul was groomed to destroy. Maul was groomed to be a Jedi killer. Which yeah. he became, and that's what Anakin's gonna is groomed for. Even though, I mean, he doesn't really do that. It's it really, it's the the clones are really the Jedi killers. Like if you stop and think about it, it's like eh, he doesn't even. I guess that's true. Well, there's the this is true on one front. There's the line you'll remember this from New Hope. That's uh, Kenobi saying he helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. Oh, sure. yeah, so the remaining. Yeah. The, a lot of the Darth Vader comics, which are just brilliant and beautiful and, and really worth finding, um, go down this path where the remaining Jedi, as you're kind of saying, he, that's his function. Yeah, yeah. I do like the image of function here, though. Ahsoka has him, Anakin, as the chosen one. She's seen how powerful he is. He's part of this prophecy. His function is to bring balance to the Force, and Maul is elevating a totally different function. His function is to destroy. He's been groomed, but almost like a in a in an inhuman or dehumanizing way, right? Like he's a tool for destruction, not necessarily absolutely, not necessarily anything other than than that. Yep, that's the way I suppose of the of the dark side. It's the way that Maul is functioning. Yeah, absolutely. So Maul has consistently using up these people, as we see in this episode. Ahsoka says, 
You lie. But of course, has Maul said anything that's false? Nope. And then we hear war drums begin to beat. And Maul says, I'm afraid not. In fact, I was so certain of his fate that I orchestrated this war to lure him here with Kenobi to kill him. Thus depriving Sidious of his prized pupil. And Ahsoka doubled down. I know Anakin. Your vision is flawed. Why is she rejecting that proof? That's great proof from Maul. Oh, it's a very Star Wars thing, right? Like, Luke is told Darth Vader is his father. Yeah. And even, even though he knows it's true, he's still saying... Yeah, that is what's no, going on here. You don't want to believe the worst things possible about your family, about your friends, about your friends who become family. You know what I mean? I think it's I think it's human nature to to reject the notion that people we deeply care about can be flawed. Yeah, and that's what it seems like to me, anyways. That's great. Both Luke and Ahsoka are rejecting truths about Anakin Skywalker. On one side, he's this instrument for destruction. On another side, he is your father. Ugh. Come on. <laughs> Maul sees that uh, his sales pitch has not worked. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. He pulls out a double-bladed lightsaber. He says, I see the Padawan needs one last lesson. battle any thoughts final thoughts on on that before the battle ensues no just i mean it's it is an excellent moment yeah it's it's great dialogue and and great performances and and it's star wars you know what i mean it's it's this this arc has all of the things that remind you why you love star wars yeah not to you and i we're we're never all that critical about things so uh, but there is something worth praising when when you do have good stewards of Star Wars who understand what Star Wars is. Especially when there are examples of people who weren't good stewards of what Star Wars is. And that's uh, (laughs) if that ever happens. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the billion dollar decision for all of these companies. The, the only reason that like Marvel, you may know this Marvel is the most successful movie studio in history. I do. Because, because of one guy. Because Kevin Feige knows those comics, and he also just understands really exceptional storytelling. Yeah, like there was my my brother told me this. I didn't know it, but in the early stages of DC making films, I guess he had talked to them, and and he had said, "Do not concentrate on world building right away. Concentrate mm-hmm. on making one or two really exceptional films that you can then connect whatever." And and they did not listen to him, and there's a reason why the DC films aren't yeah super great. Truth. Well, that's why this works. It's why for me, you know, if, if if you make this into a movie, this is easily a top five movie for me. Oh, absolutely. Battle ensues. Fun fact here. The movement here is choreographed and motion captured by Ray Park, who played Maul in episode one. Nice. That guy's an acrobat. Like, it's crazy. Right? Yeah. Fun fact. Also, you mentioned X-Men. It, he is the toad in Good. the first X-Men film. This is true. 
Uh, which, which is, he's he's cornered the market on, on these <laughs> superhero larger than life films that he's like you need somebody to fight but we also need people to like jump around and you know do aerial somersaults that guy lauren mary kim is motion captured as ahsoka and this is the first time the fight scenes in clone wars are motion captured it was a new thing for everybody That's, that is so cool I did not know that. That's so cool. Um, so they begin battling. At one point, Ahsoka is elbowed in the face, and she drops her smaller saber, and she begins fending off Maul with one hand. And there's a moment in which she force pulls the lightsaber to herself. And this is another great Star Wars trope. Luke force pulls the lightsaber from the snow when he's mm-hmm. in the cave. Ray force pulls the lightsaber to herself when she begins to battle Kylo Ren. And it's the same image kind of here. It's There is something about the, the lightsaber that is central to the identity of the wielders. And it comes out here. And when she has that other saber, all of a sudden she's real confident She's she she looks like she's in peril when she's got the one, but when she has the two, yep. her chin is stuck out and she starts making jokes. You're lucky Anakin didn't show up. The way you're fighting, you wouldn't have lasted long. <laughs> that, that feels like a Spider-Man joke it's, to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Silly. Maul says, oh, you have Kenobi's arrogance. You'll find I have many qualities for you to dislike. Which is funny. It almost feels like the line should have been, you're lucky Obi-Wan Kenobi didn't show up because you wouldn't have lasted long. Because then it's really would have been like, because remember the first time? <laughs> right. <laughs> so as they're fighting, there's intercutting with the battle outside. And eventually Ahsoka uses Maul's energy to thrust him out a window. And she like kicks him over her head. And he goes out the wall. And there's like a double lightsaber mark in the wall. It's like a Wile E. Coyote yeah, image of breaking through with the silhouette. <laughs> when Roger Rabbit goes through the wooden blinds. <laughs> <laughs> then we see Saxon radioing Maul and Maul walking across a set of beams that are they're high above the city. It's a really interesting setup. Like, yep. The cities of Mandalore are domed, and so the domes have this this structure of steel beams, you know, high, high above the city. And he's walking along them. And Saxon. No, I think not. Any moment my ship will be arriving. Die well, Mandalorian. <laughs> and he hangs up on him, using people up. Which, uh, yeah, as I say, that just goes to show, like, these villains are really good at the imploring speeches of, like, but I care about you, and I'm telling you the truth. But but it's it's in these moments like this, when you see who these people really are, it's like, they don't give a crap. Isn't this how unhealthy people are sometimes, is Maul is an abused person who was abandoned by his teacher, by his leader, by somebody who had raised him and he learned how to be a toxic person and does the same thing to to others. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Again, if there was just a self-help hologram. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hear a voice from behind him. Obi-Wan was right. You are difficult to kill. Hey, here's your, here's your Obi-Wan dig. 
Except you... except for him, because he did it once. <laughs> zip, zip. <laughs> the mall is clearly infuriated by this. They begin a battle scene on these beams high above the, the city. And that's where the choral music kind of comes in. We could have destroyed Sidious. Only for you to take his place. Again, gorgeous lightsaber battle here. And Maul's ship arrives above the dome, radios down. Lord Maul, we must depart immediately. So Ahsoka keeps pushing him, though, and keeps getting Maul from getting back to the ship. But as she fights to keep him on Mandalore, both of her blades are, are knocked from her hands. And then Maul slices a beam in half that they're on so that it's really precarious. And then we see on the ground, we see Rex leading Saxon out in cuffs along with the 501st who have a handful of prisoners. It looks as though the battle has been won by the Republic forces. And then Rex looks up and he sees the battle going on above. And he says to the person next to him, Come on, get the gunships. And then we cut back and Maul having cut the beam has the high ground here. Which we know is important. And he says, I give you one last chance. And Ahsoka, very Luke Skywalker-ish. I say this whole scene has so many Vader-Luke parallels to it. Just that we could have, you know, we could have beaten this guy and we could have ruled the show. Like there's so many parallels to the to 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 Vader and Luke throughout the scene between Maul and Ahsoka. Except it's almost like Ahsoka handles it the right way. Luke handles it in sort of the shouty, immature ways. Yeah, yeah. Both of them are join me and we can defeat Sidious. Isn't it? Anything about that? Maul attacks her. Ahsoka ducks three or four blows, grabs the central grip of Maul's lightsaber, and then flips him off the beam. And he's falling towards the city to his death. And then she force catches him and suspends him. And he can't escape. And he just starts yelling. Let me go. Let me die. Is Rex and a set of Mandalorians arriving gunships. This is again the Mandalorian Jedi weapons, apparently, because we see this in Return of the Jedi, when Boba Fett shoots out ropes and they, they twirl around Luke, and Luke is actually caught by the ropes. Same thing here. The yep. Mandalorians shoot the ropes out and they, they catch Maul and apparently and then he's shot by a stun blast from Rex, and all the while, <laughs> Maul is yelling, We're all going to burn! We're all going to die! You don't know what you're doing! See, the funny thing is, he is not wrong. That's exactly right. Like, uh, he's absolutely right, but... Hey, he's just a lunatic. Put him in the paddy wagon. Yeah, exactly. Except, you know, <laughs> except... So I realize this is a podcast. You couldn't see the, like, goofy facial expression I was making. Like, except... <laughs> he's not wrong. Rex says, I'll take it from here, Commander. I like I like the whole o- over the overview of this uh, based off something you said a moment ago. Which who who cares about Ahsoka? It's mm-hmm. Rex. Had he yeah. not looked up, and again, yeah. it's just because he cares about her. Like the whole reason that this happened is because she. You know, there there are actually people who care about her, contrary to what Maul has said. Mm-hmm. And it's a real nice proof of concept of of what we've been talking about. True. Episode ends with the gunship flying off with Maul in custody and Ahsoka looking up into space 
and reflecting on Maul's words about Anakin. That's what we got. Oof, cliffhanger. Feels like a great cliffhanger on that front. And it feels like, again, if you pair up the arc with episode three, I imagine this is going to be one of those, you know, points where Anakin is feeling real tension, real division, oh, yeah. real what should I do with my future. Any last words on this episode? It's just good Star Wars. Yeah. Just really, really good, enjoyable Star Wars. The first episode of this arc and the next episode of this arc are the ones I'm always like, these are some of my favorite episodes. But this one is just solid. It's just solid throughout. Everything in yeah. it is just, it It does the the work, showcases the beauty, hits the high points. There's just, they it doesn't miss, not one time. Great, and just great characters doing interesting things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, a lot to a lot to really enjoy here. That's it. Next time we're gonna be season seven, episode eleven. One of the most artistic of the Clone Wars episodes, and for me, it's one of the most emotionally moving. So well worth watching. Uh, we're gonna have our first guest on next week. Hooray! Next week, T.J. Uh, Wilson, who is one of the biggest Sheev Palpatine fans I know, is gonna be with us because you know what if you're going to execute order 66 you need to have some specialization some fan passion to talk about the republic falling apart well now jeff i'm confused we've been talking about darth sidious what does palpatine have to do with this (laughs) oh right let me just show you the red string my brother (laughs) (laughs) this means something this is important Hey friends, these episodes take tremendous work and effort. It would mean the world to us. If you would take just two seconds, give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. Do share this on your social media. It is huge for us when this gets out there. As with all podcasts, this one will only survive if you share it with passion to friends who love a galaxy far, far away. Our music is by John Williams, Samuel Kim, Ludwig Gorenson, and the great Kevin Kiner. All Star Wars material here is obviously owned by Lucasfilm. You can find our binge list online, and you can share your thoughts with us on the Twitter. You got anything else, Daniel? I do not. I uh, I am excited to continue unfolding this uh, this arc. He's Daniel Mothershed. He is the key to everything. And I'm Jeff Cook. There is no going back from a face tattoo. You want to go home and rethink your life? I want to go home and rethink my life. Because this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. at least 20 minutes to look through this script going, what what the hell's going to work this time? No complaints from me. If you deliver it with sincerity, that's 80% of this this working. (laughs) 